Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly. And voila, you get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Lab podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, we try and find fascinating people inside and outside the world of human resources to talk to you about the latest in what's happening with HR data, analytics, and technology. Today, we have a special guest for us, but we always have a special guest in Dwight Brown. Hey, Dwight, how are you? Hey, David, I'm good. How are you doing? Very good. Dwight's our co-host. And our special guest today is Tim Freestone, the founder of Aluba. I said that correctly, right, Tim? You sure did. You nailed it. Okay. Well, you'll have to tell me what an Aluba is. And why don't you actually go into that as you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. That's great to be here. So yeah, Aluba is a word I sort of invented. So believe it or not, alu. guys might be fans of Indian food. Alu means potato in Hindi. Okay, I grew up on potatoes. We grew up on a lot of alu gobi. And so potato is such a versatile food. That's why I wanted my business. It could do a bit of everything. It was humble, wasn't fancy, but just got on with the job. And that's really where Aluba came from. I created that on on a long flight back from Vietnam a few years ago. That's awesome. That's great. Well, tell us, what do you do at Aluba? Yeah, so Aluba is basically a skills assessment platform for analytics, data science, and data literacy skills. Businesses use it for two different reasons. One is to assess the skills of their candidates. So they might be hiring for roles like data scientists, data sure. analysts, BI analysts, and also to understand the capabilities of their teams and people. That's awesome. So is there an assessment that costs money or do we have to sign up for something or can we go up there and get a free assessment? Yeah, there's some free practice quizzes, which are also good for the candidates sure. um, before they're taking a real one and to get some feedback. And um, that should give you a sense of what the product does. All right. Do us a favor and let us know what that URL is so we can provide it to our listeners. And they might be able to or want to take that assessment as well. Yeah, so that's, that's aluba.com, A-L-O-O-B-A.com. Outstanding. Okay, cool. But as we always do on every HR Data Labs podcast, we ask you one fun thing that no one knows about you, Tim? So, I mean, no one's a stretch. I think my mother told me this. Let's say, let's oh, okay. park her. She knows it. Uh, but I have apparently <laughs> a, sp- a spare rib. I haven't verified this independently, but I have an extra rib somewhere in my body. You have an extra rib. Yes. Okay. And the best is that it's somewhere in your body. It's a mystery. A mis- You're not sure where? <laughs> it could be my leg. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, should I ask how you discovered this? Or yeah. This is just something I remember getting told as a child, and I never really went back to unpack that or have an x-ray or anything. I don't think it really matters, but I Googled it last night when I remembered it. I'm like, yeah, this is a thing. Like, this happened. And you know what? The good news is you haven't had to find out. So you have one just in case. And for those of you who like eating spare ribs, please call Tim Freestone at Aluba. <laughs> Just kidding. We do not condone uh-huh. ca- cannibalism. Sorry. We do not condone cannibalism on the HR Data Labs podcast. <laughs> so our topic for today 
is something really cool. And I think a lot of us have talked about how do we find good analytics folks, especially who have an HR background. But the topic for today is analytics hiring is a broken mess. And how do we actually fix it? So Tim, our first question is, while, wow, I didn't know that Da Vinci was credited for the first CV back in 1482. First of all, that tells us when Da Vinci was alive, which I didn't remember. And then second of all, it's about more than 500 years ago and analytics really hasn't changed very much. Sorry, the, the, (laughs) the resume hasn't really changed very much, has it, since then? That's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. So the humble CV, people probably don't think a lot about this, but almost every hiring process for any role in analytics or other roles as well starts with basically someone looking at a CV, scanning through it and trying to say, well, does this CV match the job description? And typically they're looking for keywords. Does the person have this skill where they have this sort of experience? And this is where typically, based on the customers we talk to, 90 to 99% of candidates get excluded. So they'll get filtered out at that stage. So this has, I think, a few fundamental problems. One is that a CV, if you think about it, collects all this personal private information that is fundamentally irrelevant to the question, is this the best person for the role? So if I was trying to discriminate against someone, I'd basically get them to give me their CV. It tells you their gender, their ethnicity, where they went to school, their socioeconomic status, their religion, in some countries, people put their marital status in a photo. So it's like all these points that we just shove in front of a decision maker and say, okay, by the way, remember that unconscious bias training you've had, just make right. sure you include all of that <laughs> while you're trying to make your decision on whether or not you like this candidate. I guess right. it's, it's too much. Yeah, it, it, it's a bad start when, when that's the start of the hiring process, I think. But we've all, I mean, especially those who, of us who've been managers, we've all had to deal with it. And, and it's, it's even worse because people don't really know how to write a good CV either. I've worked around the world, I've hired around the world, and I think there are different cultures where a CV is, is an art form. And somewhere CVs are just thrown together for whatever reason. <laughs> um, yep somebody might want a job but they're not very they're not very interested in getting one so what does that say about the managers and the hiring process that we've had for so long about their aptitude to be able to utilize that tool yeah well i i think it's the the cv itself is the problem in that if you think about it it's basically someone's summary of themselves their own subjective feelings about what skills they have and the fact that there's so much effort put into like optimizing your CV to get a better chance of a callback shows you how flawed it is because you as a person haven't changed, your skill sets and experience are the same. And if you can somehow tweak a CV and get a better callback rate, doesn't that show you how invalid a data set that is to be making that crucial decision oh, yeah. on whether or not you should hire them? Oh, it's so damaged. I mean, we've had so many people who've said recently, just take the job uh, the job posting, find the keywords in there and just copy them in as like metadata into your yep. resume. I mean, come on. Very, very small white font. That's what I've heard. Too. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's just, well, I, I could use the word that I'd like, but we wouldn't be able to keep the non-explicit rating. I mean, it, it's just <laughs> awful. And so, you know, gaming the system is one thing, right, Dwight? I mean, you know, you could right. put it in the small white font or, I mean, what's the alternative? I think the alternative is to collect a better quality data set 
that's actually more predictive of whether or not that person is going to be the best person for the job and to try to create a system that actively removes the noise. So I think part of the issue with CVs is there's some information on there for sure, but there's so much noise, like right. the person's gender, their mm-hmm. ethnicity, this right. or that. So we need to create a process that has basically removed that noise so it cannot be it cannot be in contention for that decision-making process because it doesn't exist, and to focus on something that's much more objective and measurable that is predictive of whether or not that person is going to be the best fit for the job. But getting to that stage, though, of where you can do that means the ATS has to be trained in order to do that filter, in order to be able to find the people to get to that moment. And unfortunately, what we found, especially recently, is they are looking for those metadata. They're looking to be gamed, to be able to find those people who've done that work. And so, I I don't know, what do you think? I, I think I blame it more on the ATS than I do on the candidate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, candidates... It's, it's not a game they've created. They're playing the game set right. up by companies or by the, the technology and the process that's generally used. So, yeah, all more power to the candidates if, if they've found a way to kind of get their foot in the door, even if that's completely bypassing normal hiring processes and just going to someone they know. Yeah, for sure. Like, hats off to them. Mm-hmm. It's just we need to get to a point in the world where we have yeah, a much more fairer, objective way of making those decisions. And I think, in general, that's one of the big issues with hiring is, even though it's such an important decision, people rely so much on their gut and intuition and heuristics, whereas really exactly. we need to make it a much more rational, objective decision, I think. Well, and definitely over the years, the you know you think about the way that resumes have changed and how you write a resume and how you do things. It's hard to keep up with that, and especially in this age of, of ATSs and AI and, and those kinds of things, you really have to to move in in fast forward. So it's it's a, it truly is a system that is set up to be gamed and you know it, I guess you could call it optimized as opposed to optimized but exactly. <laughs> however you want to call it it's it is what it is. Yeah, and I think even if you just take the assumption of like what are you what are you doing when you're looking at someone's CV? You're trying to make a guess, like a quick guess in a minute or so, are they a good match for this job? Mm-hmm. But you're assuming that writing a good CV is actually correlated with being good at that job. You know what I mean? Like why would a data right. analyst or a data scientist right. also be a good marketer or a good designer or a good, you know, an amazing yeah. communicator on paper about their own skills. It's just those, those two things I think are so weakly correlated to begin with. Yeah, There might point. be a negative correlation actually, especially yeah. for one, for people to, to your point, if you're really good at the numbers, those people are typically introverts who are trying to find patterns they're not really good at the marketing and the, the self-aggrandizement yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you need to be able to create the right CV. And let's face it, we're taught to be humble. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and that is certainly a cultural thing as well. You know, like depending on the country you're from, Absolutely. you're either right. expected to talk yourself up or down, you know? Right. Absolutely. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe. This podcast is made possible by Salary.com. Now, back to the show. And I think that gets us to the next question, which is getting to the stage where you've actually been accepted, where you get past the ATS, you're actually going to be interviewing. Getting to that stage, is there a way to get the interview process from where it is today, which is very subjective. And even if there are objective, I guess you could say, tools used, 
by the manager, like checklists, tool used by the manager, by HR, by the recruiter. They're typically terrible. <laughs> what, are the, what are the other ways for us to be able to evaluate the appropriateness of these interviewees, candidates, for the job? Yeah, so I think interviews still have a really important place in the hiring process. But to your point, yeah, they absolutely are subjective. And I think from what I can see, a lot of that subjectivity comes about because of how unstructured the interviews often are and how unstructured the hiring process is. So I generally recommend to companies when they're going to hire someone to really think in concrete detail, like what are the exact requirements you need for this role? And then setting up each stage of the hiring process to measure directly one of those things and nothing else. Right. So, you know, anyone can design any interview process to make a candidate look silly and to, you know, get them to answer mm -hmm. poorly. So if you start chucking in questions in there around, hey, like, how many balls are there in a 747? You know, if you're a dog, if you're a dog <laughs> what kind of dog would you be? You right. know, where do you see yourself in 50 years? Like, anyone could be made stupid if they're asked those questions. But those are the questions that people use to try and find problem solving or you know, future, you know, the, you know, the personality of the person, they're the stupidest questions. Like, where do you want to be in five years? Or what's your career aspiration, you know, to get this job, you know, what, what, what kind of stupid freaking questions that, you know, and actually I've had candidates ask me those questions as a manager, you know, what's your goal for this job in five years, dude, I'm not going to be around in five years. If you're in that <laughs> job in five years, I screwed up. And so I, I guess turning it back on on the the question, there's got to be something better, and you know I I, I think I, I know where you're going to go with this, but there's got to be something better than asking stupid questions to try and find out the appropriateness of someone for a role. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's there's two parts to this. So one is just definitely honing in on the interviews and making them as objective as possible by having them as structured as possible. So defining exactly the questions you're going to ask and why and making sure those questions are actually predictive of whether or not this person is going to be successful in the role. I think that can only come about by collecting high quality data through time and understanding the patterns and realizing, okay, these questions are junk because they don't help us predict whether or not a candidate is going to be good. These questions are good because they do. So that would be one piece of the interviews. But then I think you can't have an entire hiring process that's just interviews because even if you do that, it's still going to be reasonably subjective. So I think having some kind of purely objective test of someone's skills, I think is generally a good way to go and customizing that assessment to the role to make sure you're just assessing the skills that are absolutely needed for that role. And again, nothing else. So just to be clear though, when we're talking about these assessments, we're talking about assessments that are focused on analytics candidates, people who have or should have certain, not only math skills, but certain data interpretation skills, different scientific method yeah. skills, something yeah. that, that would prove to be correlative to good outcomes when it comes to not only being able to find the right patterns in data, but also to be able to play them back, right? And, and be able to communicate them. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I think for any, any roles that include at their core, some fundamental knowledge base, some fundamental skill set that can be measured, which is certainly anything in analytics, data science, anything like that, for sure. I think it's probably a little bit trickier when you get into roles that are what you might call like pure soft skill roles like sales. It's going to be hard to test on sales skills or knowledge. It's going to be more of a practical thing. But for any roles that have that fundamental technical skill set, I think giving them a, this objective independent quiz is definitely a good way to, to give you that measure. We've actually had people on 
the HR Data Labs podcast, which talks specifically to being able to provide assessments that do measure things that are correlative with with good skills like sales. But I think what we're talking about here is the ability for us to judge the those as we talked about those people who could be good fits for the analytical role. And I agree with you, they're they're not the same questions you'd definitely be asking a salesperson. But but so give us an example of what those might be or or how you would ask those questions or how you would set up the interview for us for an analytics folk. Yeah. So I mean in terms of the hiring process, yeah, you might have the interview and then a test, which is separate. So the test would normally be asynchronous, someone's doing it in their own time, which I think is actually quite important. I don't know about you guys, but anytime I was at work and someone would come and look over my shoulder as I'm trying to write some SQL or something, I would lose the ability <laughs> to use my fingers at all. Yes. Like I just become like yep. a, a sloppy mess. So yes. I think giving people a chance to do those those tests in their own time is really important. And so it's basically about creating those tests to match the role. So for example, you might test right. a candidate in, I don't know, statistics or visualizations or SQL or whatever it is. Right. And it's just about setting that up in a system and, and having that carried out. I remember being hazed by one of my early bosses who, as I was running PC, or no, actually it was mainframe focus. It tells you how long ago this was. Mainframe focus where I was entering questionnaire data and would watch as I entered data from a sheet that had been completed by a manager and put wow. into a system. And I remember how awful that felt. So thank goodness you're giving them the ability to do it on their own time. And, you know, do we care if they pick up a calculator? Oh, no, go for it. And and Google as well, <laughs> right? I mean, like right. every day I Google 100 things. There's absolutely no reason why you would want to prevent them doing that, I think. I think this brings us back to what we're talking about specifically targeting assessments and structured interviews for data analytics folks. The next question I have is focused on where to find good data analytics folks because I got to be honest with you, I've tried to find people and unless you know people like Dwight who's a phenomenal data analytics person, the diamond You're in the rough, slightly exaggerated. Yeah, diamond <laughs> in the rough. <laughs> no, but but seriously, it's hard to find people who have that analytical brain, that analytical mindset, and right. especially ones that you can relate to in lots of different levels and be able to find ways in which they solve the problem that you're trying to fulfill on or that you're trying to at least um, talk about. Yeah. So I think in this market in particular, so everyone's talking about, oh, it's a tough candidate market, struggling to find candidates and analytics. That's the case in in all the countries we operate in. I'd say a few quick wins. Firstly, thinking really carefully about the requirements you have for the role. Every additional requirement you have for the role filters the candidate pool smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think really carefully about whether or not you need those exact things in the position. So I'll give you a good example. A business I used to work at, there was a hiring manager there who was trying to hire like a BI developer, SQL engineer type of person. And they required, they would had to know SQL server specifically rather than any other version of SQL. But any version mm-hmm. of SQL is similar to any other version. And you could easily pick up the nuances sure. of a new version. Right. So that one decision cut down the candidate pool by like 80%. So, you know, that didn't help our ability to hire quickly. <clears throat> Similarly, I think really carefully about the geographical constraints of where you're looking Absolutely. for candidates. 
Yeah. The world has changed ridiculously in the last couple of years. Whether or not you have remote work or not, you can certainly source candidates from other locations and bring Absolutely. them to your office. And so a good metric uh, to think about this is that 99.99% of all candidates for any position are not within commuting distance of your office. So think about that. <laughs> the world is very, true. very yeah. large. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there are a couple other axes to worry about, which is, do I need someone full time? Can I do this with a gig worker, right? Can yeah. I find someone to fulfill on, let's just say that SQL server part of this, and then allow for someone who has the SQL capabilities, be able yeah. to be on part, the other part time of this. Yeah. Because, I, you know, as a manager, I have way, I've been accused and I, I probably was in the past of being way too focused on a full-time hire rather than a part-time slash uh, gig. Yeah. Like we've lost our capability to think creatively about these things. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. you know, there's more than one way to get to a, a resolution. Absolutely. But we forget that. Yeah. And it's likely even within the team, like a portfolio of skills you already have. So maybe it's right. someone developing someone else on the team to add those skills rather than lumping it all on the new hire that you're looking for. And that's another critical area, which is sometimes your sourcing doesn't need to be external, right? Give people the opportunity to grow internally and be able to see this as a position they either can aspire to someday or try making this a stretch assignment today in order for them to be able to gain the necessary either insight, skills, abilities, whatever, to be able to be that person that you need for them to be, to be more rounded. Yeah. I can't tell you, Tim, how many times as an internal person, as a, a person inside an organization, a practitioner, where I asked the manager, I said, you know, why won't you let this person go? And they said, well, it'll start a domino effect of people wanting to go to different positions and, you know, grow their careers. And I said, did you what? just hear it. what you said? <laughs> right. Did you just hear what you said? That is awful. You need to let people go. I think the best quality of a manager is giving people the opportunity to grow and to, and to leave, you know, the baby bird scenario, let them leave the nest, get them out of there so that you can now mentor someone else to be able to grow and leave the nest at some other point. I used to love it when my staff would come and say, Hey, I got, I just got a promotion. And I mean, that's great because, you know, that's, that's what I strived for was to be able to give them those opportunities and whether it was a, it, whether it was a complete and total change or whether it was a small change, whatever it was, as long as they were growing, I was happy as could be. Yeah. I think Tim, one of the things that we take for granted is that there are other skill sets that are synonymous or close at least to the data analytics roles that we are utilizing today. Some of them have existed for decades inside our organization, whether it's been in supply chain, whether it's been in the finance organization. And I'm not just talking about analytics people. I'm talking about people who've used scientific methods or reporting and analytics methods in other ways that we would have in the past gone, nah, they probably can't do people analytics. And the answer or the, the question I'd ask right now is why not? Why not give them a chance? At least they understand the organization and the structures in the company that trying to teach people who come into the organization, you know, 
won't know and, and you're going to have a really hard time teaching them. Yeah, and I think this is where, particularly in really large organizations, having an existing map or measure of people's current skills, strengths and weaknesses would actually give you this ability to see, oh, hang on, like, here you go, here's this person who's only one extra skill away from being able to fill this position exactly. over here in this other function that we're currently trying to pay a recruiter to fill for months. Like, hang on, if we just upskill this person and put them over here, they can get a bump, it's like a promotion for them, they're happy, exactly. right? Uh, they've gotten a new skill, we fill the role. So I think, yeah, having that kind of portfolio view of skills and having a measure of it that's concrete and you have available at any point in time, and it becomes really valuable for businesses. How do they actually capture those? Because a lot of the people and a lot of the clients that I deal with today don't really have a good handle on the skill inventory that exists inside their organization. So where do they find these? It can't be from the resumes, the CVs. We talked about that. They're crap. Yeah. And, and likewise, even performance reviews are typically done in, in the same way, quite subjective, often informal, often yeah, not, not really that measurable. So that's where we do help some organizations in just explicitly going and collecting this data by getting uh, their employees to take mini quizzes through through time and then identifying their strengths and weaknesses, which then gives them the ability to fill those gaps. Do you do, I mean, just like we were talking about, do you do that assessment or that data gathering outside of just the analytics teams? Do you kind of go a little bit farther afield or is it? are you just inviting certain roles to take those? So typically when we um, work with businesses internally, it's actually much broader. And so they're looking normally at data literacy holistically, which goes for a lot of companies right across the organization. And uh, that's, I think, the recognition that, you know, anyone in any role these days needs to have the basic ability to understand data, to interpret it, to understand what an outlier is, to create a basic visualization. doesn't matter if you're a data scientist or an accountant or a marketer or anything else, you basically need those those skills. And one nice byproduct of collecting all of that is they found these kind of hidden gems that are hiding away in some obscure accounts payable role or something. And they've identified (laughs) their next great data, data analyst. And it's those, and you know, to go back to the, the comment before, it's those diamonds in the rough that you find that are just so precious and that create the best stories to make sure that the next time someone goes to ask, where can I find people like you know, like Dwight, that that's another great reason to go further afield and to do that data literacy testing. That That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So Tim, awesome conversation around trying to find people who have analytics capabilities because today you're absolutely right today it is a broken mess so we've talked about the cv process which is absolutely broken because it's just totally subjective muck on there and then trying to find people through an ats with the filters they have on is awful then getting them into the interview process the interview process is currently broken too and then talking about a way in which we might be able to find people by actually going and listening to what skills do they have and what's their data literacy to me that's the way in the future the wave of the future is finding the right people in the organization or externally by understanding what their literacy is, especially for analytics. What else did we forget, Tim? Well, i just say holistically, the best way I think about this is hiring is going to go in the same direction as every other industry. So think of like the money ball approach to baseball, that great movie with Brad Pitt, 
where they threw out all the heuristics, all the rules of thumb, all the subjective biases that they've been using forever, and they replaced it with cold, hard, raw data and made decisions on the basis of that, and they immediately started winning. Same things happen in other sports now subsequently. I think hiring is going to go down the same route. So it's all about just collecting the best data at each step, if that's the application step, the interview step, the testing step, and making a decision based on that data, a rational, objective decision, rather than the pure gut feel, intuition approach. But Tim, we've been doing this forever. This is the way it's always been done. <laughs> no, I totally agree. It's Don't that, move I my used, cheese. No, exactly. That's where I was going. That's what I've heard from process owners for, for forever is, but this is the way it's always been done. And you got to, you just have to tell them, look, trust me, let me try. Let me show yep. you, let me experiment and try, right? The, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Exactly. And once companies start doing this and winning, then every company has to do it to, to catch up or they'll, they'll die. And that's the key, right? Is that we're going to lose to our competition if we don't learn new tricks. And this is a very good, very effective correlative with really good hires. So thank you very much, Tim. It's awesome. Great conversation. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you, Dwight, as always. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today, Tim. And thank you all for listening. Take care and stay safe. That was the HR Data Labs podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe. And if you know anyone that might like to hear it, please send it their way. Thank you for joining us this week and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe. <laughs>